Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. So you can turn in or turn on your Bible, whichever the case may be, over to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Bob was just telling me as he was reading through who God is, he got to the end of it, he wanted to kind of do like we did on Easter and say, that's my king. And uh, it really is. It really is. That's, a, that's my king. That's who he is. I want to thank you too as a church uh, for the way that you love, the way that you care for one another. It was expressed to me numerous times this week, um, both on Thursday and on Saturday, as we had... Uh, celebrations of life on those two days for two families in our church. And uh, it was expressed to me by many who don't necessarily go to church here, but just how much they were loved, how much they were cared for. And I want to thank you for allowing the Holy Spirit to work through you and to use you in that way. Uh, And we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning, not specifically about us, but about the church itself and why it exists. Why does the church exist? And if you ask a hundred different people, you'll probably get a hundred different answers to that. This morning, I want to look at what the Apostle Paul says, because I believe that it's really, really important for us to get this question, the answer to this question right. If we don't get it right, we get off track just a little bit in the wrong direction and, and you get miles down the road and you're way, way, way off track. So why does the church exist? And if, you know, it was funny, I, I started looking for just answers. I I love these kind of man on the street surveys that people do where they just walk up and they ask people, just anybody on the street, just ask them a question and begin to get some of these answers. Why does the church exist? And you hear all kinds of answers. Well, some would say the church exists to take your money. Um, That is not correct. All right. That is not why the church exists. Uh, some would say, well, the church exists to do good, to do some good works and do some good things. Uh, well, that's certainly, hopefully that's happening, but that's not why we exist. Um, the, the church is, it, it exists to take care of and to confront the social issues of our day. Uh, again, those are things I think that every believer should be concerned about, the social issues of our day and social injustices, but that is not why the church exists. You would say, well, the church exists. I know the answer to that, Troy. The church exists to evangelize and preach the gospel and save the lost. That's why the church exists. That is a primary function of the church, but not why we exist. You say, well, it's to come in and do what we did this morning. Well, that's certainly a part of it as well. But my prayer is that before we're done today, the Lord will give each of us a bigger perspective as to why this thing we call the church exists. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. Now this is the second time Paul has introduced himself this way. He did this in chapter 3 as well, except there he says, I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus. He uses the, the official um, term, if you will, the Messiah, the anointed one. I'm, I am under the, I'm under the headship 
of the anointed one. I trust him as Messiah. That's really what Paul is saying. I am a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Here in chapter 4, he says, I'm a prisoner for the Lord, my master, the one that I serve, that I line up under, I submit to. I love this. We talked about this earlier in this series. He does not anywhere say that he is a prisoner of Caesar, though he is. He doesn't say, I'm a prisoner here because those rascally Jews wouldn't listen to the gospel, and so I had to appeal to see. He doesn't say any of that. He doesn't say, I'm a prisoner of the system. I'm a victim of the system. He says, I am a prisoner here on mission for the Lord Jesus Christ. He had a completely different perspective. If you and I are going to understand our custom-made calling, we're going to have to see life through a different set of glasses. We're going to have to see with a different set of eyes. But Paul is making that really, really clear. I want you to understand, I am here for no other reason than that the Lord sent me here for a purpose. I'm the prisoner for the Lord. And he goes on. I urge you, as a prisoner for the Lord, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He says, I want you to walk appropriately, lined up with this calling that you have with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Focusing on verse 1, he says, I want you to walk worthy. I want you to represent well the calling that you have been given. The calling that each of us, if we are in Christ, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, part of His body, he says, each of us individually have a calling. And you say, well, all of our calling is different. It works itself out in different ways, but the calling is the same. It's the same for all of us. I want to show you that this morning. The calling is the same if you're a believer in Christ Jesus. How God does it in you and how he works it out is different in all of our lives. But the calling is the same. You say, what is that calling? Paul has already laid that out. We are at the halfway point of the book of Ephesians as we work our way through. We are chapter 4. There are six chapters in this book. The first three chapters tell us and have been telling us all about the riches that we have in Christ Jesus. It's, what, it's who he is and what we have inherited. What is ours because we are in him. That's in the first three. He's going to begin now in chapter 4 talking about the ministry of the saints. What does that mean? Because we have these riches in Christ. What does that mean in our day-to-day -day life? The, how is this thing worked, worked out? How is it walked out? Why does the church exist in 2019 here in Palm Bay or Melbourne or West Melbourne or anywhere in the world? Why does the church exist? And when I say church again, I know you know this, but I want to remind you because we're so prone when we say church, we start thinking church building. All right. I go to LifePoint Church Building. OK, I go to First Melbourne Church Building. That is not the church. That is the church building. That is a building where the church gathers. But it's not the church. The church is you. The church is me. So when we start talking about church, why does the church exist? We're really talking about why do you exist? Why do I exist? Why has God called us into his glorious kingdom? Why are we here? Go back with me because I'm going to give you a little quick refresher so that you'll know why you're here. Paul's already laid it out for us here in the first three chapters. Now, I'm not going to re-preach all three chapters this morning. I'm just going to show you a couple of things real quick. Chapter 1, go back with me. Chapter 1, verse 4. Even as he chose us, in him. Who's the him? In Christ. He chose us in Jesus. 
even as he, the father, chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world. What does that tell you? He did it before the foundation of the world, which means this wasn't an afterthought, folks. This was the plan of God for all time, except he's outside of time. So there was no time. But you know what I mean? It was always his plan to have this thing called the church, to have you and me be called and be part of it. Even as he chose us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. I'm going to remind you of something I say often. And you may get tired of it. But I still, as often as I say it, I'm still learning the depths of the reality of it. And so I'm going to keep saying it as long as God gives me breath, because I believe that if we don't get this part right, everything else in our Christian life will be be out of balance. It'll be off. If we do not get this right, everything else is off. He says, I want you to know that you were called. Notice what he says before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. And so we read that and think, okay, that means I need to live better than I'm living right now. That's what that means, right? No, no, no. You've been paying attention. No, that's not what it means. Although much of my Christian life, that's what I believed it to mean. That's what I, told, I was told it meant. You've got to be holy, be blameless. You've got to quit doing that and start doing this. Be holy, blameless. Now, will the Holy Spirit lead you to stop doing certain things and start doing other Absolutely He will. But that is not what this passage is saying. It's not saying, okay, I did pretty well this week. And I've talked about this before. Many of you have experienced this, the same as me. I would, from week to week, judge my spirituality and my walk before the Lord and how much I was pleasing to Him by how well I did with my list. Oh, I didn't read my Bible today. I'm, we, um, I, scored, I scored 64 today. All right. I read the Bible an hour yesterday, so maybe I get some bonus points for that. I talked to somebody about, oh, I hadn't talked to anybody about Jesus in forever. See, I'm up and down based on how well I think I'm doing on this arbitrary list. I'm being holy and blameless. By the way, the word blameless there is used in other places. It's talking about Jesus where it says that he's the lamb without blemish or without spot. Let me ask you, any of you, since, I'm not talking about before your conversion. Since your conversion, has anybody lived sinless in here since your conversion? Anybody? So we've already blown it. We have already messed up on the call of God if what this verse means is I am judged. My purpose here is to live really well and do all the right things. If that's the calling, we've already blown it. He says, no, the calling was before the foundation of the world that Christ would be holy and blameless on our behalf. And you and I would believe that and we would trust him enough to enter in by faith into what he had already done and that we would live out the rest of our days telling everybody who would listen, you know what? I'm a mess, but I want to tell you about somebody who's not. I want to tell you about somebody who loved me in spite of me being a mess. And even though I'm still a mess sometimes now. This is grace, people. It is amazing grace. We sing it, but sometimes we just don't really understand it. It is amazing grace. I am bought with a price. 
The price that he paid. I am made holy and righteous. I'm as holy. I stand here this morning before you as holy as Jesus. You say, Troy, that sounds kind of arrogant. It is not arrogant at all. Because I know exactly who I am. I know the ways I've messed up just this week. And last week and the week before that. I'm not standing here declaring that I'm that, that I live out this perfect sinless life. No, I'm telling you, I have trusted and put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I am in him and his perfect life is now my perfect life. His holiness is now my holiness. His righteousness is now my righteousness. Not because I earn it, because I can't. Even now I can't earn it. Even with the power of the Holy Spirit, I still mess up. It is His righteousness. And He says, here's your calling, people. Life point, church. Here's your calling. If you know Jesus Christ, you are every day a walking testimony to this glorious Savior who said, you know what? You didn't deserve it. You couldn't earn it. But I paid the price for you anyway and invited you in to be part of me. And I would be part of you. And all that is mine is now yours. That's what grace is. That is grace. That is not a license to sin. It's a recognition that I don't earn anything by my good works. Not before I was a believer, not after. I don't get extra points for being a pastor. You don't get extra points this morning for coming to church. Some of you say, well, I wish I'd have known that before I got up. All right. <laughs> you don't. I'm glad you're here. And there's a purpose for it. But you don't get extra bonus points for it. Look at verse 12. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. Literally, what that says, that we might cause others to praise his glory. That we would praise his glory and we would cause others. What's his glory? Second Corinthians 4 tells us what his glory. It says that God has allowed light to come into darkness and he has allowed us to see the glorious gospel of the grace of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know what his glory is? His glory is the thing I just told you about. His glory is the gospel, the good news. It is the fact that though you and I didn't deserve it and we couldn't earn it, Jesus paid the price for us so that we could be in relationship with him and with the Father and with the Spirit. That's his glory. He says this is the glorious gospel so that you would know this and that you could be a representative and that you would constantly be praising him because of this good news. Constantly. Do you have you ever had the experience? I had it this morning. I was here worshiping. You guys were all worshiping, feeling good, just worshiping. And all of a sudden, the whole, I was reminded. I started to say the Holy Spirit. I, don't, I think the enemy reminded me of this. I don't think the Holy Spirit did. At least the, the way it hit me. I felt condemnation all of a sudden. I was reminded of something I had done recently. That didn't line up with my calling. And immediately I thought, oh man, who am I to worship? Who am I? Man, Troy, you haven't you figured it out by now? Why can't you get this right? I mean, how long have you been doing this gig? Really? No, it's not. The enemy comes and he condemns. But all of a sudden, in that moment, there's a decision, a choice that has to be made. 
It's a choice that has to be made in that moment. Do I believe the lie? Do I wallow there for a while in that lie? Or do I stand up and declare, you're absolutely right, I am a mess. I mess up, I sin, I, I, I don't get it right. Even when I try to do the right thing, sometimes I do the wrong thing. And sometimes I'm not even trying to do the right thing. But in spite of that, Jesus loved me. In spite of that, He died for me. In spite of that, He cleansed me. In spite of that, He lives inside of me. In spite of that, He says, I want to be in relationship with you. He does not love me because I get it all right. This is grace. This is amazing grace. This is the glory of the gospel in Jesus Christ. Look down at the end of the chapter. Look at verse 19. And what is the, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and powers and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. Remember, to the church, to us, to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, I read that and think, oh, he fills all in all. But you know where that starts? In the church. That's where the fullness starts. In the church. He fills the church. Who's the church? Us. He fills us. This is the great calling that we have. Not only have we been saved by his grace through no effort or earning on our part. There may be effort on our part. No earning on our part. But here is the thing. There's a believing and that takes it requires a certain effort. But there is no earning that we do. We don't earn it. And in spite of not being good enough, he loved me anyway. And then he says, not only am I going to save you and pay for your sin and make you holy, but to demonstrate the fact that you are holy and that you are blameless, I'm going to take up residence inside you. Let me ask you a question. If you and I were still unholy, could the Spirit of God take up residence in us? Could He do that? He can do anything, right? But He doesn't. He doesn't. What does He do with sin? He cleanses sin. He deals with it. In the, in the case of Christ, He judged it. What does He do? He comes and He takes up residence. You say, now Troy, you just said that you still sin. I do. And so do you. Paul, again, if you look at the book of Romans, this great treatise, Paul talks about this. He said, there is this, this struggle that goes on because I know that the living God is in me, that he has made me holy and righteous and set me apart. At the same time, my flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. The two are contrary. They're at war with one another. But he comes and he takes up residence inside of us. This is the great good news. The, the glory of the gospel is not only does he save me, but he says, I'm going to do something even better than that. I'm going to reside in you. My power will be in you. He confirms this. He keeps on going. Look down with me in chapter two, chapter two, verse. Let's look at verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, 
But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. A dwelling place, a home, a place where God abides. This is the great, this is the good news. This is the gospel. Jesus not only saved me, he not only cleansed me and made me holy, but he took up residence in me by his spirit. His spirit in me. This is the gospel. He continues this thought. By the way, this is our calling. So that we're a demonstration of this. We're a demonstration of how much God loves, how he made a way to save us when we couldn't save ourselves, how he takes up residence in us. So we're a picture of all of this. But he goes on, not just to people around us in this life. Look at chapter 3, verse 9. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Look at verse 10. So that through the church. Who's the church? Us. The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. He not only, pre, he not only uses us to demonstrate it on this, in this life to people, but somehow or another he's using us to demonstrate this truth, the glory of who he is to principalities and powers. He's using you to do that. Look at the end of chapter 3 with me. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly. <laughs> How can he do any more than that? Paul is saying, he, under the inspiration, he's saying he can do more than that. All that he's done, he can do more than that. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory. Where? In in the church, in you, in Bob, in Maddie, in Brian, Joel, in you, in you. You know what the calling is? The calling is to show off who he is in you every day for your entire life while you're here and for all of eternity to demonstrate how great and good he is because of what he has done in you and what he is doing through you. Because the very next verse says to him be the glory of the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And we think it all stops. But remember the chapters, the breaks in here are not inspired. Scripture's inspired, but the breaks are man-made so that we can find our place. So the, the thought continues. Paul says, I therefore, because of all of this, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of this calling. This calling that you receive. What is the calling? I love the way Red, Ray Stedman says it. I jotted this down because he says it so much better than I can. The calling of the church is to declare by our word and to demonstrate by our lives the character and the work of Jesus Christ who lives within we are to talk about the reality of a life-changing encounter with a living Christ and to demonstrate that change by an unselfish, love-filled life. That's your calling. You say, Troy, that's a long calling. Let me say it again. 
we are to declare by our words. That means you have to speak it out. We are to declare by our words, demonstrate by our lives the character and the work of Jesus Christ who lives within us. We are to talk about the reality of a life-changing encounter. We are not talking about just doing Christian-type stuff. Let's go to church. Let's give money. Let's help the poor. Let's do... That's all fine. All those are things. Those are not the reason the church exists. They are a byproduct. The reason we exist is to bring praise to the glory of Jesus Christ. And what is His glory? That He would save a wretch like me. And that He would save you. That's His glory. And that He would take and not only save us, but then He would fill us. And He would keep on filling us. And He says, I want you to talk about it. I want you to demonstrate it in your lives. In the way that you live in this loving, unselfish, giving life that you live. And by the way, then He goes on. Look at the next verse, chapter 4. Verse 2, he goes on. Because how do we know that he wants us to do this in the way that we live? Well, he talks about that. He says, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I want you to live out life this way. Can I say this a different way? Your purpose for existence, my purpose for existence, is to every day be ready, willing, and able to declare the glory of Jesus Christ through the God story of what He has done and what He is doing in your life. That's your calling. To tell his God story. You say, what do you, what's a God story? It's a story about how only God could do what he does. Only he could take and work in this situation and bring about these results to bring about this change or this transformation. Only he could do that. Man couldn't accomplish that. And so as I tell it, as I tell the story, it's not about me. It's not about the other people within that. It is about the goodness and the greatness of God. We often call this testimony. Testimony. I was talking to somebody before we started this morning, and they, were, they said, when we have time, I want to tell you about a God story, about how God worked and where they're living and all. It's like, I love God stories. That's why we exist, for God stories. To keep telling them. And, and they're always new. I saw a God story yesterday as we were at the celebration of life for Bob's brother, Donnie. I never met Donnie. But I had talked to Bob some and even beforehand. I knew some of Bob's struggle as he was doing the service. And if you've never done a service like that for your loved one, it's hard. It's hard to do. And there are questions and other things that are going on and and I was praying for him and just thinking about Bob as he, was, as he was going through this. And I watched as he walked through that. And I saw God just so magnificently guide Bob. In every word that he said, every illustration that he used, 
how he was, I, I just sat there and I was in awe, not of Bob. I was in awe of God's, uh, of Bob's Savior. That's who I was in awe of. I was in awe of Jesus and what he was doing in that moment. It's a God story. It's when you and I experience loss that is unfathomable, and yet we can say, you know what? Even if he kills me, I'll still trust him. It's a God story. Sometimes it's intangible that we like the ones that are tangible that we can see real quickly and easily. I've told this before, but some of you are new. You leave this morning, you walk out, you look across there under the trees, you'll see that playground. And we built this building eight years ago. And the plan was to have a playground out back behind where the children's wing is. So you could go right out those doors and there'd be a playground there and all. The only thing we discovered once we moved into this building, that it, it, it's not actually hell, but it feels like hell out there in the morning. All right, It is so hot on that side of the building. And the sun just bakes on it. And we thought, you know, we can't have kids come out here unless we put some kind of covering on it. Well, those are expensive, those big coverings that you put over it. And so we're praying about all of that. And we need this. We feel like we need this playground. And now we need this cover and all these different things. All this stuff is expensive. And I remember one of our elders said, you know, I don't know what God wants to do, but I had this thought. Um, we were talking about spending thousands of dollars for this cover, but God already built one out there. <laughs> You know, this big tree, this beautiful tree, was already a cover. Oh, yeah, God did. You did do that. All right, Lord, so now we know this playground. It shouldn't go here. It needs to go over there. Okay. Now we have another problem, Lord. We don't have money for the playground either. All right, we didn't have money for the cover. We don't have money for the playground either. Those things are expensive too. I'll never forget Colonel was still here. Colonel's retired now. Colonel came into me one day. He was... Animated for Colonel. Um, Colonel didn't usually get animated. He was animated. He goes, Pastor, you're never going to guess what happened. I said, well, do I have to guess or are you going to tell me? What, what happened? And he goes, I just got a call from a development. Some of you actually live in that development out on Bab down south on Babcock. It's called Water something. What is the name of that? Waterstone. Waterstone. They called us up. I don't know how they called us. I do know how. We were praying. That's how they called. We were praying. said, God, we need you to demonstrate who you are, your glory. And so they called up and they said, hey, we are building some new stuff and we're getting rid of it. We've got this playground and all. Uh, would you guys be interested in having a playground? And it's like, well, yeah, what do you want for it? We don't want anything. We'll bring it to you. All you have to do is get it put together. And uh, yes, please. Yeah, we'll take that. <laughs> all right. We'll take some of that. The playground, fencing, all of it. Just brought here, they big truck pulled up, dropped it all off right there. We paid somebody to put it up. And every time I walk out, I say, God, you are amazing in what you do. Now, we could have done all kinds of other things to try to get this playground. You know, we could have put pictures of sad children. You know, we could have, we could have done, you know, pulled at your heartstrings. You know, please give. You know, that's not enough. Let's give again. You know, we, we, there's all kinds of things we do. Or we could simply cry out and say, we are your children. We are your church. And our calling is to demonstrate your glory. And we want to demonstrate your glory. Hallelujah. In everything. Not just in, not just in financial things. Not just in tangible things. In the place where it's, where it's the most difficult. You know what? I've, and do, I've been doing this a long time. 
Money's not a big deal for God. I have really come to that conclusion. It's a big deal to us, but it's not a big deal to him at all. I'll tell you what a big deal is. When you see God change a heart and change a life, that's a big deal. That is a big deal. Yeah, you clap if you want to. It is a big deal. When, when God changes a heart, when he changes a life, he changes my heart. Remember I told you a couple of weeks ago about my eye story? You remember the eye story? How many remember the eye story? All right, some of you don't remember the eye story. You may not have been here. I could right now make you feel guilty because you didn't meet the list, but I shouldn't do that, right? Because that's not grace, all right? And I'm kidding, all right? Love one another, amen. Love one another. Real short, I was getting some eye. Actually, my wife was getting some eye. She loves the chewy eyes. And, and you remember that story? She loves the chewy eyes, and she, and you remember, all right? And she walks out, and the employees were talking badly about my wife, and I got full of something other than the Holy Spirit. And, um, and so I wasn't necessarily, I wasn't outwardly mean because I had enough self-control not to show out. Somebody, you know, might know I'm a pastor or something there. I didn't want to do that. Um, but, but I wasn't real nice. And inside it was even worse. And so I told you all that story and how the Lord had to deal with me. Well, I've been praying for those employees. I've been praying for them because that's what the Lord told me to do. He said, instead of being mean and calling corporate and trying to get them in trouble or whatever, just pray for them. So I've been praying. I go back in there this past week and um, I was by myself and I, I, I was getting a drink and I got Lori some ice because I know she likes it. So I got some ice and I go up and one of the individuals who was there that day, actually the kind of the ringleader in the comments that were being made, was checking out. And I immediately recognized her, but for whatever, she didn't recognize me. And, um, and so I woke up and I've got my drink in my eyes and I say, hi, how are you? Thinking, I'm looking at her name badge. I've been praying for her, I want to know what her name is, you know? So I'm looking at her name badge. And she said, and I had that ice, I said, I got the drink and I've got a cup of ice here. She goes, you know, if you bring your own cup in, I don't have to charge you for that ice. Uh, yeah. I said, I know, I appreciate it. Thanks for, the, I understand. I just didn't have a cup with me. She goes, and you know, these cups rinse out really well and, and it's fine. And the whole, she was as sweet as she, I mean, you, you can't imagine how sweet she was. And I sat there and I walked out and I thought, Lord, what is the deal with that? And, and he immediately ran that verse through my mind. Behold, they pray. Behold, they pray. Look, they're praying. Do you know that the gospel goes into the Gentile world? And you know what God says about it? You know what? Now, again, it was God's plan all along. But you know what he said to be? Behold, they pray. They're praying. They're crying out. Cornelius is praying. And God is moving. Why? Because he loves to demonstrate his glory. You have God's stories in your life, folks. And your calling and my calling is every day. I'm looking for the opportunity with my words and with the way I live my life in humility, in gentleness, in patience, Forbearing, I love that old Hebrew word, 
forbearing, literally to bear for, forbearing in love. Why? Because of the glorious gospel, because God himself lives in me and he lives in you. And he wants to show who he is through us. That's your calling. You say, I've been waiting all these months for that. Yes, that is your calling. Now, how is it going to work out in your life? It's going to be different in every one of your lives. But that's your calling. Everywhere you go, all the time, you're never off. You're never off duty. You're always on call. It's always your calling. To be an example, to be a demonstration to people on this earth and to the principalities and powers that we can't even see. The glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. That he made us holy and blameless. He, he filled us with himself. He empowers us with power that's resurrection power, unimaginable. And he does what only he can do so that we can constantly be showing him to anybody who will see and listen. If that is your purpose, you will never have a life without meaning. You will never have a day in your... You know, when I get in trouble, it's because I lose sight of why I exist. As long as I understand why I exist. Now, I want to share one more thing. I might as well already come and start playing. That'll make me go be quicker. All right? But I want to share one more thing. We're doing this in a totally different way than the world does it. Okay? You got to hear me on this. There are methods that work. Do you remember in the Old Testament when the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant and they carried it back into into Palestine? How did they do that? Do you remember how they carried it? They put it on a cart, you remember? On a wooden cart that was pulled by oxen. Why? Because that's easier. Let the oxen do the work and the cart. Set that thing on there. But God had told the children of Israel, I want you to carry it with poles through the rings on the side with four men. Two in the front, two in the back. And nobody is to touch that ark. So when they recapture when they defeat the Philistines and they recapture the ark and they're bringing it back, they start back. But they made the mistake thinking, you know what? The way the Philistines do it's easier. It's easier to do it their way. So let's just leave it on the cart and go. The problem is, as they're going along, it hits a hole. It was on a road in Palm Bay somewhere. It hit a hole. Okay. And it tilted. And the ark was going to fall over. And so Uzzah... One of the priests, he, he don't want, I don't want the ark. This, is, this represents God in his presence. We don't want the thing falling on the ground. So he reaches up to stop it, and he dies. And you think, boy, that's harsh. That doesn't seem right. He was just trying to do a good thing. He was trying to do a good thing in a way that God never prescribed. And God doesn't just want you and me to do good things. He says, I want you to do it in the way that I prescribe. Then I get all the glory. You can't do it your way. You do it his way. You do it with patience, not with demanding your rights. You do it with love, not with anger. 
You know, my response in that store, you know, who could I tell to get them in trouble? That's the way the world does it. That's how the system works. It's not how God works. What do you want me to do? Pray. Care about them. Care about what's going on in their life enough to pray. Remember back in March, we talked about who's your one. Remember that? Not who's your one, but who's your one. Who's the one person that God would put on your heart that you begin praying for and looking for opportunity just to share about Jesus with? Well, I've been praying since then. I did not have my one. I mean, I came up with a bunch of ones on my own. Lord, this could be my one. No, it was almost the Lord's like, keep your hands off, Troy. All right. I will show you when I'm ready. Yeah, don't touch the ark. Thursday, after the celebration of life, I'm talking to someone back there. They share something with me I did not know about someone who regularly comes out to this property that I have met twice, maybe. Doesn't go to church here. I don't have any connection with other than a couple conversations. They shared something with me that blew my mind. And right then, the Holy Spirit said, there's your one. There's your one. I was not looking for God to give me my one at the celebration of Bray's life on Thursday. That was the last thing in my mind. And I had a bunch of ones picked out prior to that over the last two months. Lord, I could just pick this one. I could do this one. I could do this one. I could make this one my one, start praying and uh, wait for me. Wait for me. So now I have one. Now I'm praying. Now I'm looking for opportunity. God, what do you want to do here in this person's life? I'm telling you, it doesn't make any sense humanly the way God does stuff. It does not. And we can do things the way people who don't know Jesus do them. And you can get certain results by doing it that way, but you will not see the glory of God that way. Other people don't get to see His glory that way. When you do it His way, people see His glory. In your family, in your work, in your relationships in church, wherever you are, do it His way. With humility and patience. Forbearing with one another in love. With gentleness. With the fruit of His Spirit at work in your life. Not fighting for your own way. Not having to have applause or credit. bow your heads with me. Yesterday, um, at that celebration of life for Donnie, Right behind me, I could hear this little voice. It was a toddler. Some just but had just begun speaking. You could tell. I could just tell by the sound. I didn't turn around. I didn't look. It 
think Bob was talking at that moment, but I could hear this little voice behind me. And I heard this little voice say, Don't say that word, Mommy. Don't say that word. And I thought, What word? And again, I didn't want to turn around and look. So I'm just listening. And I could hear the mother very soft whispering, almost under her breath. No. No. Don't say that word, Mommy. No. And I thought, oh, Lord, if that's me, I want to hear you speak. And then I tell you which words you can say. And I don't want to hear words I don't want to hear. I don't want you to tell me to do it in a way I don't want to do it. I don't want you to tell me I can't have it my way. And that little toddler reminded me of how I so often approach God. Don't say that word, Lord. I don't want that one. So I'm going to ask you, as the Spirit guides you this morning, and if you have freedom from Him, could you just tell Jesus, Lord, you can say any word you want to to me because I want to be a demonstration of your glory. You can say anything you want. Lord Jesus, say whatever you want to to us. We are your church. We are your people. We want to bring praise to your glory. We want your glory to be praised. Not only in our own mouths and lives, but for those around us. Help us see. Lord, we give you what is already yours because you bought it. But we surrender to you. You can say what you want. You can lead where you want. Lord, we may have all kinds of things that we do in our life and work things and school things and, and stuff that all kinds of plans. But Lord, all of that is secondary to the great calling on our life that we would, by our words and the way we live, we would declare who you are. Help us, Jesus, to do that everywhere. That that would be the reason we get up every day. And as we walk throughout the day, and when we go to bed at night, it would be on our heart, Lord, tomorrow, if you give me another day, I want to be a demonstration of who you are. And Lord, when we mess up, because we will, we thank you that we're not holy and blameless because we get it all right. We're holy and blameless because you've made us that way. But Lord, we do pray that you give us a humility we'd humble ourselves and acknowledge when we've messed up. That you give us patience with one another. You cause us to be gentle with how we deal with one another. And that we would forbear with love. Lord, thank you for what you're doing. We give you praise and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to stand with me.